Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and hey, thanks for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case this is your first time uh, to hear the radio show, the, the Talent Talk radio show features a wide range of guests who care about talent and are pretty much most of the time pretty uniquely uh, talented themselves. So on this show, we talk about talent in those two ways. First is it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully you see how that works. The, the word talent has a couple different meanings in the business world on this show. really looks to explore those two areas. Uh, my two guests today, we have uh, one from the top of the HR world and one who's a, a CEO. So we're going to get to probably some pretty different perspectives today uh, as we really dive into this topic. My guests uh, typically include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, coaches, consultants, just from all different types of industries. And Typically what happens is I'm out at networking events or industry conferences, and I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time. So I created this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I do want to thank those of you tuning in live. Don't forget, you can submit your questions via Twitter right now. Just tweet them to at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag, all one word, uh, talent talk. My producer, Mike, can feed me the best questions, and uh, we can try to work them into the show. Otherwise, you can send us suggestions, guest suggestions, or anything you want that way as well. Don't forget, you can also listen to this show via our podcast on iTunes and Android, which is actually the most popular way that people tune in to listen, is after we've already finished the show, they pop on the podcast later on and listen to one on the treadmill or at practice or driving their kids to and wherever they may be going. But you can subscribe to have that weekly show sent to you. We already have, as of this week, 49,000 of you subscribed and listening to the podcast. We really appreciate your support and tuning in each week to listen. With that said, let me get today's show started. My guests today are Suzanne Coons. She's a director, HR business partner for VF Action, which is sports, which is Vans and Reed and uh, Reef, excuse me, and Eagle Creek, and also Ted Devine, who's the CEO of Insurun. Ted will join me at the second half of the show. So now let me get over to my first guest, Suzanne. Suzanne, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Great, great to have you. So tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and, of course, your company. Happy to. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm um, Mikel's HR director, business partner, HR business partner. Um, what that essentially means is is I uh, look after all of HR for all three brands under Action Sports. So a little bit about our, our broader organization, VF Corporation. Um, VF is is probably not as well known to the consumer, but all of our brands really are. Mm-hmm. Um, Reef, Vans, Eagle Creek are all, of course, my brands that I support directly. We also include um, Wrangler and Lee in our jeanswear division, the North Face, Lucy, Timberland, and Outdoor. Contemporary brands include Seven for All Mankind and Splendid Elamas. Nautica is part of our sportswear division and also own licenses for most of um, the professional sports. Um, majestic, major league, um, baseball, etc. Mm-hmm. So, VF is a huge company, and and the three brands that I oversee represent a large um, portion of that business. Those are a lot of brands you just mentioned. That um, yeah. some of them I didn't even know were under that uh, you know general scope. I would have thought some of those were, you know, like, like, like Wrangler I was the one that really stuck out to me. I would have thought maybe it was its own own thing, but being under yours is uh, really interesting. Yeah, it's a very very diverse portfolio that VF has. Um, has been probably the number one reason for um, VF's success in the last, particularly in the last five or six years. Yeah, I imagine there's a lot of pretty good diversification there because, you know, at different times, certain brands are hotter than others, and um, that probably can give you some real diversification for your company as, you know, certain things get hot, certain things go down, but it always seems like there's a, a cycle in there, right? You know, what, what's popular today seems to come back in 10 years or 15 years. 
uh, and have its little lull in between. Sure does. <laughs> I, I know my 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 kids are starting to wear things that my wife was wearing, you know, back in the eighties. It's like I agree. I'm like, is that really popular again? Like, I, fortunately, shoulder pads hasn't have not come back into uh, right into play. But a lot of the other eighties 80s... pegging your denim has, and that's just amazing to me. I cannot believe that that people are doing that again. I, first of all, I can't believe I did that, but then let alone that people are doing that again is crazy. So, well, you know, with with uh, with one of your tasks being talent acquisition you're, mm-hmm. you're looked at to really provide the strategic talent that is you know, needed at your company so what is the biggest challenge you face in really procuring that specific type of talent that you know you need for the the, the, the brands that you're, you're really overseeing you know I think there are, there are a couple things that come to mind um, first we're really fortunate we have some very strong brand recognition in our brands that we recruit for so candidates do tend to engage with us I think the bigger challenge for us right now is is really around um, the growth of our business. All three brands are, are growing. Um, Vans, of course, is the biggest of the three brands. And, and just to give you an idea of the growth that we've experienced, since we were acquired by VF 10 years ago, we've actually grown six times the size we were. Um, and we have a, a continue, uh, we have a plans to grow and continue that trajectory of growth mm-hmm. in the next three or four years. Um, so a lot of growth. And, and with that, I'd say, you know, when I first joined and even, you know, maybe slightly before that as well, our, the talent pool that we pulled from was really around our industry competitors, you know, other, other brands in action sports, um, local to us. Um, the talent pool was, was quite frankly, easy to tap into. Now that we've grown as much as we have and the business has become as big as it has, um, overall for, for all three brands, we really are looking to recruit a different talent level. VF is in the Fortune 250 list, and I the, the the organizations that we recruit from are also in that 250 list. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a different level of talent that we're looking for, and that's probably our bigger challenge is ensuring that we have, you know, all the right programs in place and and the capabilities to be able to attract that type of talent. Um, I think that's one thing, and then the other thing that does come to mind as well is just the growth and and the connectivity of the world. I mean, we have candidates coming at us left and right, and then there's it's a big challenge to keep track of everyone and stay in connection with all those that we want to stay in connection with, respond to everyone. It's, you know, that, that I think is also a, a separate but equally um, challenging circumstance that we're under. Yeah, you know, that's commonly something that I hear from companies um, with any sort of, you know, name recognition. And it's that, you know, people say, okay, I want a job, so I'd like to go work for. And they think of the brands that they're buying, they think of the brands that they like or the brands that they're on TV or in commercials or whatever. And so you end up getting inundated with this incredible amount of interest. But that doesn't necessarily mean that any of those people are the right person for the particular jobs that you're hiring for, and especially at a, a, a very strategic level. You know, where I'm imagining, you know, some of those really key positions you were just talking about, you maybe you could pick off of other competitors for a while. But, you know, when you need to really fill a, a very important role to maintain the growth and success of your company, to have a 1,000 or 10,000 or whatever that number is of resumes coming in can be a little daunting. Is, it, is, that, is that really kind of part of the main challenge that you're describing? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, candidate experience is very important to us. Um, and it's it's just really difficult to achieve with, you know, we, we actually have, I think the last number I saw was we have about 37 people or 37,000 applicants every month. Mm-hmm. And we, we, that's mostly due to the van stores. We have 300 stores, but a good portion of it is, is even professional candidates. So that being said, it's, it's virtually impossible for us to provide an experience for all of them that's within our control that just isn't part of our, you know, our system. So. Those are things we look at. We focus on the careers page, et cetera, to ensure that we're engaging all candidates, whether or not we can interact with them. And you have the other, you know, uh, you just barely touched on it there. The problem of you want that candidate experience to be great. So when you do get one person who comes in maybe through that system, you want it to be great for them. And yet, so that means it has to be great for the other 34,999 that came in mm-hmm. that maybe you, you're not ready to engage with or aren't the right fit and i imagine that that could be a real challenge as well because that that uh candidate facing experience because of your branding if it's not good it can also be a negative to your brand as well as far as from a retail standpoint right absolutely every candidate is a consumer right 
that's usually why they've come to us. Um, our careers page is actually the third most frequently visited website of all of our um, websites, so that tells you something about um, sort of the interaction we're having with candidates and the impact we can have through the way we enter- engage with candidates. That's, it's an extremely unique um, scenario you're bringing up. I mean, not, not there are certainly companies as big as yours and pie companies that are dealing with this, but if you think about the average company in our in our country, that's not something they're dealing with. You know, they're they're out looking for candidates that may have candidates coming to them, but it's not a branding thing as well. And you're not having to, you know, put in probably incredible resources into would well, Paramount to be probably a bigger budget than a lot of people spend just on customer acquisition uh, to be able to handle all the people that want to work for you. So I guess as long as you're finding the right people and you're you're able to fill those positions, and then ultimately it's probably all worth it. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. It's 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 definitely one of our our more it's definitely a strategic priority for us, and we and we continue to evolve. You know, we think we've we've done something that's really great, and then we think, oh gosh, there's a little bit more we can do here. So it's it's definitely an evolution. So we've established, if if no one else uh, didn't know this, but you know, your the fans and Reef, uh, different brands here that you you've talked about. Are, are so identifiable, and, and yet, you know, with any kind of product, there's a constant change, and new innovations are happening. So maybe from an organizational development perspective, what do you see as your the biggest part of your strategic role, I guess, in ensuring that organization conti- your organization continues to move forward and really stay at the forefront? You know, what are those, what are those kind of, some of those maybe little bullet points that you're always thinking about when you're, when you're doing your hiring or, or, or looking at what you're going to need going forward? I think um, when I think about OD, OD, you know, by definition, I think that that our, from our perspective, it's our role to ensure, you know, the talent acquisition role, get people on the door, make sure it's the right talent, we're making quality hiring decisions, et cetera. Once they're in the door, the next big obstacle is obviously retaining them. And that's equally as important because, um, as you know, I'm sure you've heard a number of different statistics, but the one I always go back to is people make their decision whether or not to stay long term in the first six months. And um, so the engagement and, and the development that we offer from them or f- offer to them, or at least the programs we let them know are available, is really important right from the very beginning. And I think the role that we play when it comes to that and our, sort of our ultimate goal is probably um, best described as, as, especially given our current situation with the growth ahead of us, is to ensure that we keep the growth of our talent on pace with the growth of our org. It's not an easy task with the growth that we do have experience and are continuing to experience at Vans, Reef, Eagle Creek, and even overall at VF. Um, I think in my prior experiences, I do see that it does happen, you know, often when when um, organizations are growing this quickly that they outgrow their own talent. Um, and it's my position and our team's objective to ensure we avoid that at all costs. Um, we do that, you know, by ensuring um, – People are focused on their own development, that we engage our executive and leadership team in participating in leading, sponsoring learning, or excuse me, participating in learning and sponsoring learning, even teaching themselves um, and prioritizing their own development. So when people walk in the door and they see that happening right away, it's our belief that they'll know that they too will continue to experience growth um, and the opportunities to develop themselves um, for the future, whether hopefully it's at our organization, but even if it's not, mm-hmm. to offer that is, is a, it's a long-term commitment. Yeah, and I hadn't heard the, the six-month statistic. At least not very often, um, but that's an interesting one. I mean, uh, I wonder if there's some science or some research behind that. I'm wondering how many companies out there might try to, you know, uh, almost uh, overdo it in the first six months, and then you know, six months in a day, suddenly <laughs> drop everything. All the all the little perks or the you know, certain things you could do. But um, there's always companies out there that are kind of almost trying to cheat that kind of thing. But that, it's a really interesting concept of six months. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering how uh, you know how how accurate that might be. Uh, and if but if you're saying something like that, if people are really making up their minds that at that time frame, that could be huge into really, you know, making that organizational development really work well. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, I, I could go back and pull the research. It was probably from at least five years ago, so there's probably something more recent. But I believe that to be generally true, and it's really within the first six months, right? I mean, I've even heard within the first two weeks people are making decisions about their long-term um, commitment to the organization. And I think it's really it's about culture, and it's about 
um, the future that that organization can potentially hold for them. And it's not so much about putting them through experiences immediately and putting them through a rigorous onboarding program. It's more about the fact that making it known to them that there will be opportunity afforded to them in the future. Well, the interesting part is that if you, you know, if you know it's not a fit, if you know you're unhappy, that you can figure that out pretty quickly. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, my, the two-week thing makes a lot of sense if you're not happy. The, the six-month thing or if it's a year or whatever that time frame is, I think there's a level of people need, you need to prove it to them. You know, they, they see, okay, everyone seems like they're happy or it seems like culture is good here or it seems like, you know, but then you still want it to be to be proven over and over and over again. Or you want to make sure that you get to know everyone well enough to see if they've just been holding it in. You know, if they're not just being polite and smiling and being nice or if they're, you know, are they really happy with their job or are they not? So, you know, you, you kind of you touched on that, uh, the culture word there. That's something we explore a lot here on the show. So I'm wondering if you could maybe sum up your culture in a, in a few words or a sentence, I mean, uh, on how you think that works. Or maybe your cultures are different, I'm wondering, by brand. Or, or you know, is it more the overall action sports? You know, do they have a culture or, you know, is it kind of parsed out based on the brand? It's definitely parsed out based on the brand. But I do find, um, sort of in, in describing our, our coalition, um, that all three um, cultures are really founded and and their foundation is based on authenticity, you know, and, and, and creativity, you know, being product companies. So I think um, I think that's probably the best way to describe all three brands. I think going to focusing a little bit more on vans, um, we describe ourselves as humble and hungry. You know, mm-hmm. it's definitely sort of an underdog culture. You know, it's it, people are it's it's really about promoting and allowing people to have their own creative self-expression. I mean, that's what we stand for as an organization for our consumers, and it's what we elicit within our culture. And I think that when I say authenticity, that's probably the perfect way to describe it, is we're authentic to to what we promote to our consumers in all three brands. Yeah. Um, in all three brands, it's important that you you don't have to skateboard. You know, that's what we were, that's originally what got, gave us the traction that we have now. Sure. Um, but you do need to have an appreciation for pe- for for someone who chooses that lifestyle in order to be comfortable here. Um, it's, it's very much about being who you are, whether that's someone who is more comfortable in sort of business attire or someone who's got full sleeve tattoos and a pink mohawk. Um, as long as you are who you are, you can fit in, um, and that's and that's and as long as you are authentic to the brand and you have an appreciation for the brand and what we stand for, then you can fit in. Mm-hmm. If you if you are you know even remotely can be sniffed out as not being authentic when you walk in people the people who have had that experience just don't stay long they're just not comfortable well what's interesting and and i'm certainly making this based on my own observations nothing uh scientific here but the the vans brand certainly comes off as i I mean if you look at it it and, and and i'm in being in orange county maybe i see it a little bit more but it seems huge it seems like everyone wears vans everyone has vans it's a very popular brand it's certainly not, you know, the small little unknown kind of skateboardy thing that used to be when I was a kid. Um, and but yet on the same end, you still have that belief that it's it's not the traditional brands that you think of. It's not the main, it's just not the mainstream brand of shoes or clothes or whatever it may be. And yet, it, so I think in the mindset, it's still this other brand of these other things that. Uh, from a creativity standpoint, or al- alternate type of a thing, but yet you're, you, you're, you've really grown into such huge success that you really are mainstream, but you've somehow managed to keep that. I guess that idea of of not being so mainstream, and I'm not sure if that's intentional or, or a good good coincidence or accidental, or maybe if I'm just off base. But that's how <laughs> I've always seen it, you know. No, I I think you're absolutely on on track. Um, I think it's by design, and it's also just built into who we are. It's, you know, again, it sort of goes back to that whole, you know, authenticity piece. Mm-hmm. Um, that that the reality is, is we, I mean, even even our leaders who are still in the business, who are from the original founding family, reference often that we think we, the skateboarders came to us. We didn't go to them. And we appreciate that, and we will keep that to our core for the rest of our existence. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that that commitment and that you know support that we offer and and the pride that we take in that is what continues to to suggest or to 
promote those um, those action sports enthusiasts to continue to hold us yeah. as a true, authentic action sports brand. Even though we've grown far beyond that, and we're a lifestyle, and we're global, um, and we're about street culture, we're about music, we're about art. Mm-hmm. Um, but the skate the skate skate community and other action sports enthusiasts they still appreciate us for being authentically who we were originally, if that makes sense. Hey, you've almost modified from maybe the skateboarders brand to the creatives brand, you know, which Correct. still you know encompasses those, the skateboarders. Because I, I think about the last time I went to go buy shoes and, you know, like every time I go, you have the traditional, very classic Vans style, but then you have so many other options that you could, options and and colors and and designs that you don't see year after year you just you see them once and sometimes i don't even ever see them in a different store i see them in one store and that's it yet when i walk into maybe buy some other you know name brand shoe it looks kind of like it did last time i bought it it's a little kind of a little different but it's the same colors and it's the same idea and it's you know it's whatever and uh, you know i think that's what's really unique about you know van specifically is that that creativity seems to, to really be at that backbone of, of what you're delivering to the customer. And so it's constantly changing. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Constantly changing, but there's still a consistency in it. Right, right. That's it's recognizable. St- it still looks like a van shoe, even though it's, yep. you know, this one's pink and this one's black and white stripes or, you know, or whatever. So, well, Absolutely. you know, we, we talked, I guess, a little bit about that, that parsed out kind of cultures, but certainly at the VF level, uh, maybe just at the high end, I'm wondering, certainly you're going to be bringing in people who know the brand, but maybe aren't necessarily drawn to it in mass like m- many of the applicants. Maybe from a more strategic standpoint, you bring in someone who's in a, at an executive level uh, who's going to come in and really make big decisions for the company. Do you think that there's a, a specific draw or a kind of a cultural alignment or something that you think is really important at that level that those people need to have? Not, I mean, not in particular. I think when I think about the leaders of our organization, there's, there again, it, it's it's about authenticity um, in terms of you just be who you are, whether you wear vans before, whether you wore vans before you walked in the door or not. Um, I think what draws, truly, what draws the le- the senior leaders to us is not only the authenticity and success of our brands individually, but also of of VF. And um, so I think. What we see, what we look for in leaders at that level, which are going to interact a lot more with VF and potentially, you know, move brands um, in their career, is is what the foundation of VF's culture really is, and it's it's completely aligned with our brands, and that is um, absolutely it's about integrity and it's about respect, um, and it's about you know achievement, um, for lack of a better way to describe it. I think. VF is known for very being a, a rather healthy or a very healthy organization in the over 100 years that we've existed, um, and I think that people are drawn to the business health, um, both from a sort of emotional standpoint when it comes to integrity and honesty and respect, um, but also the health of the actual um, bottom line as well. So I think I think that especially that in, um, integrity piece is very is aligned with our brands and that's probably the number one thing we look for. We look for authenticity because that's important at VF as well, but highly important at our brands, particularly mm-hmm. our brands, but we also we also look for um, that integrity piece because without that, you're not a good fit here either. Well, one of our, our favorite uh, questions to ask, and I want to make sure we get it in before we run out of time here, um, is uh, what book are you reading and can you tell us about it? Well, I, um, I have... Two children that are two and five, so I will say that when I open up a book in the evening, I tend to shut my eyes right away. So I can't say I've been through a lot of books recently, mm-hmm. but the one that I... <laughs> I thought you were going to say Green Eggs and Ham, but okay. Right. Yeah. Well, that too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, the book I picked up more recently that I'm excited to dive into is um, Focus by Daniel Goleman. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if any of your other guests have brought that up, but... Um, I'm excited about it. You know, he's he's the originator of um, the whole idea of emotional intelligence, and um, I'm actually going to see him speak in a couple weeks, but picked up focus because 
the whole idea of, of the change in, in attention and attention as almost a competency and how that's been impacted by the way our world has turned um, and the amount of massive information and messaging that comes our way each day, the whole idea of attention and, and what role that plays in your world and in your success is really interesting to me. So Yeah, emotional intelligence is huge. It's, it's just um, it's kind of that new thing that people are identif- finally have identified the right way as to what kind of separates certain people from others. You know. Yeah, I think we, you know, it's been around for a long time. I think people are really starting to embrace it now. Mm-hmm. And, and I forget, are you are you located locally here in Orange County, where we broadcast from? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we've uh, actually launched the uh, Orange County HR Executives uh, Book Club, and that really came from a lot of our guests who've been on the show, who've made such great uh, book recommendations, and then people started talking and saying, "Hey, I want to read that book, and we want to talk about that book." So, I know we're going to be having our first uh, inaugural meeting uh, Thursday, the 18th of this month. So, I'll send you information if you're interested. But it really came from uh, this kind of sharing that so many other great HR leaders like yourself have have you know given these this advice and and are always kind of talking about these great books and wanting to learn and wanting to to help their organizations continue to move forward as well yeah i'd love to please do send me the info thank you yeah so uh last question before we get to our next guest is uh how can people learn more about your company or possibly uh apply for a job or where, where should they go if they're interested in learning more about your company well, absolutely. The brand websites are, are a great first point of contact. Um, I, we also have um, built out LinkedIn pages for each of our companies. Um, so I think I, I'd recommend sort of LinkedIn and, and our, our company websites, in particular the careers page for those who are interested in roles and learning more about our org and what it's like to be a part of it. Um, we also have Facebook pages, So, but I, I, I think those are probably the best. Um, careers page and LinkedIn are probably the best resources. Sure, sure. All right, well, Suzanne, thank you so much for being our guest on the Talent Talk radio show today. Uh, it's a real pleasure having you, and I'm glad we could uh, get all the schedules worked together and, and gave, get you on the show because we really enjoyed uh, talking to you today. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Ted Devine is coming up next after this quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything, your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. S&H Rubber is a manufacturing company in Fullerton, California. We specialize in custom-molded, extruded, and stamped rubber parts. If your next job requires a rubber part, we would appreciate the opportunity to quote on it. We serve aerospace, automotive, and many other industries. We work with many types of rubber, including silicone, EPDM, neoprene, uninitrile, and viton. Our quality system is ISO and AS9100 approved. Over our 47 years in business, the SNH brand has become known for superior quality, quick turnaround, and competitive pricing. Please check out our website at www.shrubber.com or call 714-525-0277. Let SNH be your ceiling solution. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results, a cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge, with the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days, all with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show and listen to all of our past shows by visiting either 
octalkradio.net and clicking on the show tabs and clicking on Talent Talk. Or you can visit talenttalkradio.com and all the shows are there just waiting for you to click play. So in the, in the year that we have existed, we've already amassed a huge following, as we mentioned, over 49,000 of you that are tuning in every week on the podcast and listening to the show. My next guest is Ted Devine, the CEO of uh, Inseron. hope I'm saying that correctly. Uh, don't forget to tweet your questions live right now for Ted by sending them to at PeopleG2 and using that hashtag Talent Talk. So, Ted, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me today. So tell us about yourself and your company and if, I, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's okay. So uh, it's, a, it's a hard one. Um, so Insurion is the largest um, online platform uh, for small business owners to buy uh, commercial insurance in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, over 50,000 clients. Uh, we were just named uh, number 107 on the Inc. 5000, and the fastest-growing insurance company. Thank you. Really cool. And, um, you know, most importantly, what we're trying to do every single day is uh, there are 40 million small business owners across the United States with less than 25 employees. It's the fastest part of the economy, and uh, oftentimes they have uh, problems getting called back from uh, big companies because their premiums are too small. And... Uh, you know, that's our uh, core uh, mission, and it's really, truly our mission to serve them. And uh, we do that, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times every single day. Um, some people would, you know, compare us to easiest way to think about us is uh, progressive or insurance. Uh, 15 years ago, came in and automated these uh, personal lines buying experience, and uh, that's what we're doing in the small commercial space. That's great. So, you know, as the CEO, what do you feel is your role when it comes to the talent management part of this, uh, and really in, the, in leadership development as well? Yeah, uh, it's a great question, and it is the primary role of any leader. You know, I grew up in a, a consulting company called McKinsey, um, and I had a chance to work with lots of CEOs uh, from various companies. And besides setting the strategic direction uh, of the firm, uh, there's no more important role than being the leader in talent development. I actually coach hockey uh, in my spare time, and uh, you know I view being a leader and uh, as kind of a coach. And a coach does three things: they you know set the goals very clearly for the team, uh, so that everybody understands what, what we're trying to achieve and and how we're going to get there. Uh, they identify their best players and their talent within the firm, um, and they try to put those people in positions to get better and win and succeed. And then thirdly, you know, during the course of their role, they coach individually uh, so that they can uh, make, the, uh, make the talent as good as it possibly can be, whether that's individual coaching sessions or um, changing people's um, uh, tasks or roles to have them develop uh, places uh, that they need to do that. So, for instance, we just moved one of our best young, uh, talented executives who's 27 uh, from an analytical role where he was uh, leading a lot of our data science activities to more of a role on web design and uh, the user experience of our website just to start to broaden his skill set out so that he can, uh, you know, eventually become one of the top, top leaders of our firm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great uh, kind of example you give about uh, leadership being like coaching. Uh, I think I've seen a lot of people that are leaders in their organizations, and lo and behold, they also do a lot of coaching, whether that's right. you know right. little league or or that stuff. I I yeah. always notice the one problem I had though is you know I coached for many many years, uh, yeah. so different sports was that a lot of those lessons would come over directly with my employees. The problem is I could make my employees run laps or do lines if they didn't listen. And, and, and that always worked really well with kids. They always they listened a lot better. So maybe I could disguise it as a uh, wellness program. I'm not sure. but Yeah, no, yeah. that's great. That's yeah. funny. Actually, I, I coach a girls' uh, AAA hockey team in Chicago called the Chicago Young Americans, and we were uh, – uh, we were doing down and backs last night. Yeah. <laughs> so I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And you would think, you know, the, the, sometimes the kids need that little wake-up call or they like, yeah. to t- like to test their boundaries, you know, see if they can get away with and you got to kind of lay the law down. But you would think adults would uh, would not need that, but occasionally they seem to need it as well. So They do. Yeah, they do. It just and seems and that, is part of le- that is part of uh, leadership. 
it's done in a different way. But yeah. at the end of the day, you know, the reason you do that as a coach is you want to correct behavior right away or you want to make the, the team better. And uh, with, you know, the talent uh, and, you know, the, the, the members of our team at Insurion, it's more coaching directly when you want somebody to get better at problem solving or get better at communication and having them think that through. So it's not like skating skating down and backs, but at the end of the day, uh, there is the same principle. And you also have to hold people accountable just like you do on a team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you can, you know, on a team, I think uh, very often you have a group of people and they're going to be together for a set period of time. And so, yeah. you know, your your weakest player can sometimes be you know, getting your weakest player to be as strong as they can be or to help your team as much as they can can really be an important part of success. Whereas I think in business, identifying those weaker players who are not helping you are actually the ones you need to cut quickly and find yeah. someone else to, to bring them in to help bring the t- let, raise the level of the team up. So it's kind of where that little that difference applies because yeah. I was thinking with some of those weak players, when you don't replace them, I think staff almost feels like they are running lines constantly trying to make yeah. up for the problems and the uh, issues that some of the, the weaker you know members can, can bring in there. Yeah, um, I think that's incredibly well said, because uh, particularly from a leadership perspective, because what, what happens if you don't do that is – your your best business teammates, um, whether here or at a different company, look at you and say, "How can you hold me accountable if you're not going to get rid of them if they're not performing?" Right. And you can't have that in a culture. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you want to have a high performing culture, everybody has to perform and everybody has to be accountable for performance. So, you know, kind of speaking of, of culture, I, I generally would argue that uh, when I see really good company culture, mm-hmm. it's really coming from the top down. Mm-hmm. And when I see mediocre or really bad culture in a company, it's really coming from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I, when I say bottom up, I mean just kind of un, being unmanaged. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the, the group at large is sort of determining culture. Maybe not intentionally. They're not trying to make it bad, but it just tends to be because it's uh, undirected. So maybe when you look at your company, where where do you see the culture starting and, and how, how are you seeing it being maintained to be able to, you know, keep your company successful? Right. It's a great, uh, great question. I agree with your observation, by the way. So if you actually, you know, look at two of the firms that probably create as many CEOs around the country, you know, people would point to, you know, General Electric or McKinsey, my own firm, as, the, you know, two of the top five places where CEOs get created. And they both have very, very strong cultures. They're different. We use more high-performance-oriented running a P&L, and McKinsey is teamwork and the obligation to dissent. But those are set by the leaders at the top, and then it is filtered down through the team and then through generations of leadership. So I agree with your comment. You know, what we try to do here and how we think about it is um, we have two elements of our culture we constantly preach. One is, you know, we're a high-performing family. And what I mean by that, and we use that phrase a lot, is that, you know, we want to be performance-oriented, and, and but you can't be the crazy uncle in the corner with the lampshade on your head. Um if you're, because that'll be something that will not make you part of the team. So you need to perform, um, but at the same time, we're a family because if you make a mistake, that's okay. You know, we're going to help you, support you, every single person in this. You know, now we, we I started uh, with this firm in Chicago. We had myself and our uh, CMO, and now we have 110 people in Chicago. And every single person, including myself, makes mistakes. And you want to create an environment where. It's a family of support where we can help develop you and make you better rather than, you know, you living in fear that if you make one mistake, uh, you might get fired. So high-performing, uh, a high-performing family. And the other thing is we really try to not take ourselves too seriously, right? So, you know, the, 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 the young members of my team uh, four months ago asked if we could have a, a, a puppy in the office, uh, and I said, why not? I mean, if that's part of who we want to be, um, and it's under it's aligned with this notion of not taking ourselves too seriously. So we have Gunner. Gunner runs around the office. It's hard to actually be too intense when Gunner's you're playing catch with Gunner, and it freaks all the you know other com- big companies are coming to see us out, uh, and it's exactly who we are. So, uh, you know, that's how we set the tone, uh, performance-oriented, 
supportive like a family and not taking ourselves too seriously and you know that's what we're trying to uh trying to develop here and you know it starts with me and starts with then the senior team underneath me and i think it filters down to everybody in the organization well, I, I I love to hear that you uh, you did that. Um, I will caution you. We we started doing that when when my company was brick and mortar, and yeah. one dog turned into two dogs, which turned into three dogs, which <laughs> turned into everyone bringing in their dogs all the time. And that was one of the things that we decided to go virtual. Uh, everyone okay. just took their dogs home and got to just enjoy their dogs all the time. So. Okay. But it got to be so when gotta, the, the lesson is I've got to uh, I've got to hold it at one. Huh? I think one is is going to be your cap, be the the, the okay. dog that everyone can play with, because otherwise when those people come to the door they can handle one. But when you have right. three or four or five coming to to sniff you and and say hello, it yeah. got to be a little overwhelming for people who came in the door. Um, Classic, especially if you're not a dog person. Those people yeah. really had a hard time, and you yeah. know, about half of them aren't aren't dog people. So yeah. right, <laughs> good. Well, I know if you didn't have enough to do, you're also the CEO and founder of a nonprofit organization, yeah. uh, One World Sport. So maybe yep. you can share a little bit about that organization. Sure. So we started One World now, I guess, four and a half years ago um, uh, to uh, focus on teaching the life lessons of sports. Uh, back to this, you know, uh, you and I can both relate uh, coaching theme, primarily uh, some of the principles of John Wooden's Pyramid Success and teaching those lessons to uh, inner city youth. So we work with about a thousand uh, amazing kids from the Chicago Housing Authority every year. And we hold uh, four events um, typically that we call events to inspire, where we work with a uh, professional sports team like the Blackhawks. Uh, we get kids who've never played hockey out there. They earn the right to attend the events by good grade school attendance. And then um, and then their one world sports goals. And uh, it, it's not a one world uh, sport event if you don't take the time to learn these life lessons. And so our coaches then work with the kids and talk to them about teamwork or the importance of community or uh, the importance of um, sportsmanship, um, also the importance of competing uh, and being competitive but doing it the right way. And, um, you know, it's been an amazing uh, journey and uh, something I hope we continue for decades to decades to come. So has the experience of creating and implementing that organization, um, as well as seeing the the difference it I'm sure it's, it's made in the lives of many young people, yeah. kind of helped to shape you know who you are as a leader and an executive in the in the corporate world as well. Yeah, you know it really has. You know, first, you know, I've been. To, you know, when you're when you're working downtown Chicago, you drive in and you know you you work and you drive home. Um, but with One World, you know, I'm in my car going to places around the city that um, not very many people uh, go to, uh, bordering on Gary, a trailer park for the housing authority, parks around the city, you know, that have glass and are just in terrible condition um, just to be with the kids. And um, and by the way, the people from the housing authority are amazing. The people from the Chicago Park District are amazing um, in all they do for kids. So the first part of it from a leadership perspective is, it keeps me grounded, humble, and uh, shows me the diversity uh, of all types of people, uh, which is, you know, awesome. And really, it ties to our mission, which is, you know, we serve more, you know, more people from more different industry groups than anybody in the United States for a company um, that does what we do. So uh, that's really, really important to me. And, you know, the thing is, when you're working with a young person, you look into their eyes and, you know, it doesn't matter where they're from. Um you see their dreams and hopes and aspirations, and what we—that's the same thing that we're trying to do with Insurion because all of our clients have those dreams, hopes, and aspirations. They, you know, they start out a bakery, or they start out on their—you know—they're a contractor, or they're a janitor, or they're a nurse, or they're a restaurant, or they're a mobile food truck, and they have dreams and aspirations, and they want to achieve those and just like at one world where we're trying to help the child uh, get into college um, at Insurion we're trying to help those businesses survive uh, thrive and grow um, so they can you know put food on the table and pay for their kids college and save for retirement so you know it's very analogous for me and uh, you know it's very much aligned I think the greatest leader in the history of the world is Martin Luther King because he was able to rally and motivate people 
um, not by a position. He wasn't a general or a president. He was somebody who got a lot of people to follow him uh, on something that was very important through pure leadership. Um, and that's, uh, you know, something that, uh, yeah, One World has helped me really understand. And, you know, hopefully I live all those things every single day. Well, there are certainly some very unique uh, leaders that immediately came to mind when you, when you said that. I mean, I, I, Gandhi's, Gandhi's another one of those. Yeah, exactly. You know, yep. that just yep, were exactly. able to provide leadership and done in such a way that's just different. It wasn't, um, you know, you, you weren't forcing people. You weren't, you know... Um, causing people to, uh, you know, be divided. They were almost bringing people together that right. we wouldn't have expected to ever come together. So That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So, uh, you know, when we're looking at this kind of evaluating success then, we, yeah. we, we, we've used two really good uh, examples, but yeah. when we turn it back here to, to your company, yeah. and then how do you evaluate success? I mean, there are particular metrics or things that you do to evaluate whether or not you're doing well, your staff's doing well, and th- things like that? Yeah, so um, there's you know a couple uh, a couple key metrics for me that you know I watch, um, and I'm very very blessed to have a tremendous chairman of our company, a gentleman by the name of Edgar Bronfman, who's just a huge mentor to me, and uh, you know somebody who uh, really helps uh, set the direction of our firm. So, but the four metrics that uh, you know I I look at and watch are one, growth is the most important thing. We're a growth company, so. Uh, you know, this year we'll grow about 40%, which is great. Um, the second is something called the net promoter score. Um, mm-hmm. And this is hard for somebody who grew up at a, a rival consulting firm. But Bain & Company, which is a terrific uh, consulting firm, uh, wrote a great book called The Ultimate Question. And the metric that you use around customer satisfaction that correlates most to revenue is this net promoter score. Um so we use it on all of our sales transactions, all of our service transactions. We have what's an NPS of 85, which is the highest we've seen in the insurance industry, and the average for an insurance company is about 20. So, But that's something that I watch all the time, and I actually watch it down to the uh, person level for our producers and our service staff because I can tell if their NPS goes down that we may be giving them too much work or too many, too many applications to handle. Um, and so then we need to adjust to make sure that they get uh, the right uh, work-life balance um, so that they can uh, make sure our customers are happy. The third is we have, um, you know, 360 feedback, and, uh, you know, we do cultural surveys to figure out how our people are feeling about things. Um, and uh, uh, so, you know, I want to I make sure that, you know, we're – the, the, the team feels like we're building what we're promising that we want to build and that the leaders are walking the walk, not just talking the talk. And then the fourth is, uh, are we accomplishing the big strategic objectives that I know we need to get done to reach our full potential? And are those things on track and that we don't get lost in the day-to-day operations of the firm or the day-to-day metrics of the firm that we you know are getting things done that will make the firm what we want it to be in five years. So, um, And the one I didn't mention is EBITDA. That's important to my bosses. Um, <laughs> we, uh, but I don't watch it every day. I look at it once a month uh, right. to make sure that we're on track. We always are. And um, if you do those uh, f- uh, four other things right, you're going to be delivering yeah. the profits that you need. Yeah, that's, that's generally if you're doing other things right. That, that seems just to kind of come along. Exactly right. Uh, you know, based on the things that you've talked about, things you've mm-hmm. done, and the success of your company, I'm going to guess you have a fantastic answer for my next question, uh, uh, with no pressure. And <laughs> I know, and I, I, I don't think I've ever had a fantastic answer, but go ahead. Uh, so I, I, I'm sure that you're one of these uh, lifelong learner type of personalities. So I'm wondering, yeah. uh, what are you reading right now, and can you tell sure. us about that book? Yeah, so I'm reading uh, Boys in the Boat, uh, which is a uh, an amazing story of a bunch of kids who from the University of Washington uh, who in 1936 uh, went after Olympic gold. Um, and uh, it's really uh, important to me because I crewed in college. And if you know anything about uh, the sport, of, and my daughter crews in high school, if you um, – know anything about crew and rowing it's you know it is the ultimate team sport because everybody has to be in perfect sync everybody has to pull the oar at the exact same time with the exact same strength with the exact same length 
uh, and you have to do that uh, for uh, you know six to fifteen minutes, depending on the race, in perfect harmony and with unbelievable stamina and effort. Um, you know anybody that's done an erg machine for more than a minute knows how hard it is to row. So. And they make it look so easy when you watch them in the Olympics and different things. They you do, go, right? They go, hey, it looks like it's easy. You just row it, and, you know. <laughs> and they go in like perfectly straight, and they go really fast. And you think, right. oh, I could maybe get, I can get a medal doing that. And you'd be sitting in that boat for <laughs> for thirty seconds, and you're dying, and you're probably going in left circles, right? And no, yeah. that's exactly right. We have an erg machine downstairs, and uh, my daughter, who's a junior in high school, on the crew team here, and uh, she, um, yeah, you know, I'll go down there and she'll asked me what my split time was and you know it's it's a little embarrassing to say but she always kicks my butt so yeah yeah, it's hard it's a very hard sport but it's one where it is the ultimate uh it's the ultimate team sport so the book is awesome it's obviously about the berlin olympics and um it's really really cool so sounds good well we always list all of these books on our recap on the blog that we do at peopleg2.com uh, slash blog. And we'll have your recap up there in a week or two, and we will uh, certainly list the books that you suggested and our other guests as well. And we like to keep everyone seems to really enjoy those suggestions and always looking for a great book to read. And uh, the, the peer-to-peer uh, suggestion seems to be uh, more important than the Amazon rating uh, these days. Yeah, so that's cool. Very yeah. cool. So uh, last question I have is how can people learn more about your company if they're interested in learning more? Sure. So just go to insurion.com. So it's I-N-S-U-R-E-O-N. Um, and uh, they can uh, reach me at ted at insurion.com. Well, Ted, thank you so much for being our guest today. It was uh, really in- enjoyable to learn about your company and all the other things that you're doing. Uh, and hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update. That'd be great. Thank you, and uh, really, really appreciate the time. All right. That's about the time we have today. Thank you again to my guests, Susan Coons and Ted Devine. Tune in next week, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, to hear uh, Blake Gaska, CEO of Convoy Technology, and one other special guest. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show. Brought to you by People G2.